Hi, this is Chris Harris, and you're listening to the Cherry Jam Podcast. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Cherry Jam. Uh, but I'm joined today uh, by Lawrence Delalio. And I was going to do a really big intro, but it's very difficult to do that because he's won the Premiership, I think, five times. World Cup winner. I think he's the only man to win both the Sevens and the Fifteens World Cup uh, and playing in both games. Um, he uh, won the European Cup twice, I believe. Uh, a Challenge Cup um, and uh, a couple of Power Gens as well in there. Um, so a particularly successful uh, individual and uh, and England captain, England legend, went on three Lions tours. Um, thank you very much for joining me, Lawrence. Pleasure, absolute pleasure. And um, and played at Kingzone many, many times as well. So, uh... Well, indeed. And actually, that's where I was going to kind of start, really, because obviously you're well known as a, as a, as a one-club man, played mm. for Wasp your entire career. Um, and I think you kind of started just at the tail end of amateurism. If yeah, no, I played. Um, I played in. Uh, I joined Wasps in 1990. Um, mm. So uh, I was 18. Um, very similar story to to a lot of people, really. I, I wanted to join a rugby club and and open the newspaper. Um, Roslyn Park had just been or about to be relegated from uh, Division One. Um, Harlequins. Uh, um, no disrespect. I took one look at it and thought that that jersey doesn't really look like it's, it fits me that way. I didn't fancy wearing a, a, a multicolored jersey for some reason. And uh, you know, just being very honest and candid, I, I was in a you know bit of a difficult place. I'd lost my sister two years previously, and um, I was sort of wandering around. And I thought, right, I need some structure, some some. Uh, I need something in my in my life. I needed a community, a family, so I joined a rugby club and I joined Wasps. And from that moment onwards, really, I uh, I never looked back. Um, no one really asked me about my past. They just sort of embraced you, and and that would have been the same in any rugby club, really. Um, and that was probably why I stayed there all my life. Not because, um, well, I mean, it's it's a nice story to be loyal, but the reality is that I felt very emotionally connected to the club. Um, mm. And yeah, and that and that was so joined in 1990. The game went professional five years later. A lot of my mates were um, working, um, builders, brokers, posh public school boys, could be anything really uh, in a rugby club. And um, a lot of them didn't want to play professional rugby. I didn't want to play professional rugby. I mean, I didn't grow up thinking I'm going to be a rugby player. Um, I've got to say I had aspirations slightly higher than that, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> I grew up playing rugby on a Tuesday night and a Thursday night and um, and playing on a Saturday. And and then suddenly the game went professional. I thought, OK, well, I was qualified in property. I was working in, um, in chartered surveying. And I thought, well, I'll give rugby a go. It may not work out. Um, and once you once you get it into it, that was it, really. I never looked back. But um, so, yeah, so I had a, um, a sort of a, an experience of both. Um, used to be really difficult to break into the first team of a rugby club because um, as bizarre as it may sound now with player welfare and structured season that just looks like chaos really mm. there was only there was only nine league games uh, yeah. Gloucester, Gloucester and uh, Gloucester B Wasp being one, one of them and and other than that you played friendly first 15 matches so 
I played in the Colts, I played in the under-21s, I played, but it was hard to break into the team. We had a very strong back row, uh, as, as all clubs did then. Um, so I didn't make my league debut um, until much later, till about 1995, 96, mm. just as the game went professional, really. So, uh, yeah, fond memories. Did you, did you, um, one of the questions actually one of the guys asked was, did you um, have any serious offers ever on the table? Was there any contemplation about leaving Wasps? I mean, there was a rumor. I mean, I, again, the rumors flew around most clubs, but there was a rumor sort of the back end of the 90s, early 2000s that Gloucester had made an offer. Yeah. Now, I don't think that's true, but that's, that's what I remember hearing on the terraces once. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, offers were, I mean, player movement wasn't really as widespread as it is now. No. Uh, you know, you had to have a really good reason to leave. Uh, I, I, and as I said to you before, you know, I, I met my wife very young. We had kids very young. Um, happy wife, happy life, all of that. And my wife's actually from the West Country, Alice. Um, she's from uh, Devon. So um, she did She did say to me, look, if we, if we do go anywhere, I, I would consider moving to the West Country because... You know, ultimately, it's it's a big thing to do. But I think nowadays players are maybe enticed to move for um, quite a bit, of, uh, quite a bit more of a, a pay yeah. rise, if you like, than 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 I would be. I mean, most people. So I did get a few offers from a few different clubs. I don't remember Gloucester being one of them. Um, <laughs> that but, doesn't uh, surprise me, to be fair, Lawrence. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's quite hard to bring you away from London because yeah, of course, a lot yeah, going on there and. Um, but in those days, the salary cap was a, was 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 just that. It was a uh, it, it was a sort of figment of everyone's imagination, really. And mm. you were offered maybe twenty, thirty thousand pounds more to move. And by the time you've you know taken your kids out of school and paid the removals, guys, it kind of doesn't really work out. Whereas nowadays, you know, players might be offered a lot more than that to move. Um, and and really, for me, playing rugby was was not just about wasps. It was about playing for England, and yeah. um, and I had to think and long and hard about where I felt I was able to achieve my objectives. I wanted to do a number of things because it you wouldn't play rugby for the money because getting your face smashed in no. um, is, it should be a lot better paid than it is, right? So if it's not for the money, what do you, what are you trying to achieve in your career? Well, I wanted to play for England, um, and. I wanted to win trophies and I wanted to be successful with my team. And I just felt that Wasps, if another club could tick all of those boxes, then then you might consider moving um, because it's about your family. It's about your, your friendships. It's about being happy. It's about being successful. And then finally, it's about money, really. Mm. Um, that, that they were the order that I had, really. Yeah. And, and playing for England was was a big, was, was definitely one at the top. Um, and it took a while at Wasp. We didn't we didn't necessarily become successful overnight. We we kept a group of players together that had all been there for a long time. And then the trophy started to, you know, we won the odd Tetley's Bitter Cup, Power Gen Trophy. We actually won, in, in saying that, we actually won the first ever professional league. We did, yeah. yeah. It was called the Courage League in those days. Mm. So we won it, um, just so Gloucester fans don't, <laughs> don't assassinate me. We won it by, um, by being the first team uh, past the post as opposed to the playoff. Uh, yes, and, we'll uh, come we, on to that. Don't worry. <laughs> we, won, we, won by, we won by six points, uh, we, yeah. and, uh, and we won it up at Northampton. So we had a group of players. Nigel Melville, ironically, was our first director of rugby, and we'll talk, I'm sure, about him later on. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so it was it was an interesting time. 
I mean, as I said, I kind of referenced the fact that uh, you hear on the terraces these rumours that we were we were going, we were looking to sign you, and I said at the time it seemed pinch of salt stuff, and it, I think it, we we obviously Tom Walkinshaw was our chairman, and as you mentioned, there was the salary cap was a figment of imagination. There's a lot of money flying around um, at sort of that tail end of the 90s, early 2000s, and obviously, Lawrence, you you know you played many times at King's Home. Um, I'd be remiss of not of me not to mention that try that game if only because i think it gives you i i we, we were talking about this uh, on our recording uh last night um you, you know you get absolutely slammed every time uh with simbad rinsed, 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 <coughs> rinsed and all the other you know words we could use for it but yeah. do you ever think do you ever think simon shaw gets off really lightly well, I mean, everyone, <laughs> everyone, every, I mean, I, we listen, we love, I, I love the, the, the fans at Gloucester. I love the, the atmosphere, I love the environment. I mean, listen, playing at home is, um, is comforting for anyone. Um, but uh, when you play away from home um, in any environment, in any country, that's where you really learn a lot more about each other. And mm. you always know going to King's Home, um, you, you're going to be in for a, uh, an interesting time. Not not just because of the crowd, um, which is a big factor, but because the team um, certainly is um, a formidable side, and and George Skivington uh, and a number of other wasps, ironically, are, um, are helping uh, to, to to get those times back at Gloucester. But um, every side has a pantomime villain. Um, every side <laughs> has a, a, a player that the shed like to, uh, to to really you know single out necessarily and if they do that and it happens to be you then you take that as a compliment really because ultimately they see you as a threat so they're trying to uh, nullify that threat um and uh, you know you've got to embrace that atmosphere we used to go and warm up and and particularly you know warm up in front of the shed and and yeah it, listen it's, it's a great uh, great environment um more often than not the wasp team that i played in we had some we had good days at king's home um we 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 lost the odd game, no doubt about it. Um, but I would say we probably won more than we lost, actually. It, it, it was a happy hunting ground for us for some reason. Not all grounds are like that. Every team has its has its uh, ground that they, they just can't seem to get a win in. But but King's home, we, we we came away with a few, actually. And I remember Will Green scoring a try in the last minute to... Uh, yeah, I remember yeah, that. Brian Campbell said there was a couple of minutes left and then ended up playing five extra minutes. But... Um, and uh, and and obviously the, the the famous Simpson Daniel one where I mean I've got to remind Gloucester fans and and Simbad's a good mate of mine as well. Um, I think I'd I'd had was it one or two knee reconstructions by that point in my career. <laughs> so uh, if if an international winger can't turn a, an old has been inside out at the age of thirty five, I said the, the good news for Gloucester fans was that a few weeks later my knee was still okay, was was strong enough to be able to walk up the stairs and pick up the Premiership title. I was going to say, to be to be fair, to be fair, I mean, there's... <laughs> I don't, I'm not, I wasn't worried about the fact that I got got beaten on the outside and turned inside out. And and listen, if it turns out to be everyone's favourite Premiership try, uh, then then so be it. But I'm sure James Simpson Daniel scored a few more that are better than that. That's for sure. Well, we, we've always we've always said that the only way that try would have been better if Simbad had gone himself. But um, yeah, it's it's, it's and, and and you're right. I mean, I, I think when I when I, you very kindly invited me onto your pod earlier in the year, and I made the point that we go on about that, and it's one of the greatest moments for a lot of Gloucester fans. I think I, I've said I wasn't actually there that day. I was. I was watching it in a pub in Swansea and nearly getting chucked out um, uh, after jump, after jumping on a table. But the um, the because the, the end end result in that game was that Wasps won um, mm. and then went on to win the win the title. And 
I, you kind of answered my question with the other sort of follow-up question to that, which was, did you particularly enjoy feeding off the, not animosity, I suppose, maybe, maybe that is animosity, but that feeding off that antagonistic element that you could wind a crowd up, that would make you feel sort of big and better, and then you would then go on to, you know, carry your team along with you. Yeah, I mean, look, you've got to use all of that. Um, you know, playing away from home is... is, is um, it's a science as much as anything else. I mean, King's Home had a big, loud, noisy crowd, still do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the referee, the opposition, the home team are all part of that. You know, it's about, you know, taking on that atmosphere. Ultimately, you, you don't you don't win or lose because of the crowd. You, you win or lose because you're a better team, really, or, yeah. or, not, or not a better team. But but when you what you do learn is is you 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 mustn't give the opposition or the crowd anything to to feed on, really. So you know you hope your back three don't drop any eyeballs because I mean that generally that generally, well, generally <laughs> bless you know, Kenny Logan. Well, Kenny I, Logan. Looking, I mean, well, yeah. I mean any anyone's back three get 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 a get a load of abuse, but. Um, yeah, so you don't want to give teams field position. You don't want to give the referee, um, you know, you don't want you don't want him to get under even more pressure than he is already. Um, and crowd noise is a big factor in that. But uh, no, I I actually love that because genuinely, I mean, I would want those fans cheering for me if I was a, if I was in the home team. And and yeah. they are they are incredibly uh, loyal, incredibly passionate, um, and and I love them. And you know. The same fans that are that are booing you or, or taking the mick one week in in a wash shirt will be doing completely the opposite in an England shirt. And I, well, yeah, I I've yeah. met many Gloucester fans in, in in an England jersey, and and they would probably turn around and say, "Do you know what? We we only do that because we really want you to play for us." If, if I'm honest, it, it's entirely that. And 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 kind of moving on to England. I mean, your career with England is is about as good as it could get in terms of uh, in terms of World Cup appearances, in terms of caps, in terms of uh, trophies um, and what was I was kind of obviously we're a year out now from the World Cup um, and um, I was wanted to just touch on a few things about the World Cup because you had three very different experiences at the World Cup yeah well I nearly had four actually I mean I I, I made my debut for England in 1995 against South yeah Africa and I played they were then the world champions they that, the first game they played uh, since after they won the World Cup was was against England at Twickenham um, and I made my debut, so I just missed out in '95 on, on going. Mm. Out, you know, I mean, you, you if you didn't play for Bath, you didn't really get picked for. <laughs> no, not really, not at all. No, 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 not I'm, 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 I'm joking, but, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, yeah, a couple of other players were picked ahead of me, um, so I was a bit gutted about that. And then, obviously, '99 was our was my first World Cup, so I would have been four years um, in the England team, and. It was yeah. We 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 were still learning. Clive Woodward was two years into his coaching role with England, um, and we got bombed out with five Yanni De Beer drop goals. And, yeah. And, and what people don't remember about that is that we had to go and play Fiji midweek in that in that um, in that tournament. So it was a strange old format. And look, the RFU reinvested in Clive, which was a which turned out to be a pretty smart move. Um, and you know we reinvested and really started to work out that actually if we wanted to win the world cup we needed to completely change our mindset so we did that and uh, and when we took on some of the some of the best teams in the world in the southern hemisphere but um, I, I was very fortunate as you said i went through professional rugby i had I only worked with about three or four different club coaches um mm. so there was a lot of stability in my in my club career i worked with 
what four or five different England coaches, but not not many. Maybe in fact, not even that many. Maybe three or four. So there was always been a bit of stability um, throughout my uh, throughout my playing career. And as I said, I came off the bench against South Africa in my first cap. I came off the bench against South Africa in my last cap, um, mm. which was the World Cup final, uh, which we unfortunately lost. Um, although I'm sure Mark Quater did score that try. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it's um, so there was a real nice symmetry. And in that time, I played for England for 13 years. Um, I retired for a year um, <laughs> because the, I just found the workload post 2003 just ridiculous. Um, and yeah, look, we, we had some some great days. Um, I still am regretful about some of the games that we lost. Um, I still feel guilty about uh, a few games like 99, which was my fault uh, at Wembley. Um, we lost another one in 2000 in Scotland when the heavens yeah. opened up. We lost another one in 2001 with foot and mouth. So, um, you know, you say you won everything. Well, yeah, managed to lose three Grand Slam matches actually. <laughs> so it could it could be it could be a tiny bit better. Um, I mean, it could be a lot worse as well, I guess. But uh, I think that. In, in many ways, life is about rugby mirrors life and life mirrors rugby. Sometimes, you, you know, you have setbacks, you have to learn from them. You have disappointments, you know, you, you have to get over them. And we had a few setbacks, but ultimately we won the World Cup. So mm. as long as we learn from them and we move forward, then uh, then that's obviously a good thing. And I, and I do reflect on my career with a, with a lot of um, fond memories because I, I definitely gave it everything. Um, I had a number of injury setbacks and recovered from those, um, but I don't look back and think I wish I'd done more. I mean, I, I really gave it everything I've, I had, and, and maybe one of the reasons why I'm not coaching now is because um, I gave everything to I had as a player, and I think um, if I had to do that as a coach again, I'm, I'm not sure there'd be <laughs> I'm not sure there'd be much left to give. Really, um, you know, it's it's a really hard thing to to. It's very selfish being a sportsman. Um, I don't know what it's like now as a as a professional, but when I was playing, you know, everything. It's all about you. You know, everything. Yeah. Everyone has to build their life, their working week, in order to cater for your needs. You know, because it's your game at the weekend. So your family never have a never have a weekend to themselves. I mean, it's just like a, you know, their weekend is your weekend. Um, and you know, they, you get back on Monday and you, you know, you can hardly walk down the stairs and, and it's, everything is about you. So it's quite a selfish career in many ways, um, which is why it's quite a short period of time. And I think when you get to the end of that, it becomes hard to, to go down that road again. Yeah. Uh, unless you want to be on your own. <laughs> well, funny enough, that's, so our own Lawrence on the pod was, he was referencing, he said, you know, he, he always talks about you as a, and we talk about the England games. We've we've I'll touch on a couple of moments as 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 an England supporter and and growing up watching you play. But he referenced the fact that you know Rob Howley had a uh, he was saying no he listened to your team talks um, and want to sort of run through brick walls and how great as a motivator you were. Um, and uh, yeah, our Lawrence was asking so his question for you was was there any temptation at all to go into coaching or as you mentioned you just at that point you've done. 20 years nearly you know you kind of at that point where you just don't you, you just can't give any more well you never say never do you but I mean I, I'm um, the game moves on very very quickly doesn't it um, yeah. and I would never class myself as being a student of the game um, I mean I would say like Steve Borthwick for instance now is a student of the game you know he's he's very um, he, he is one of those guys who really loves the, the the detail the technical details the bits and pieces which is fine. You 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 absolutely need people like that, and 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 they you know effectively bring you success. But for me, 
there's there's a number of different factors in rugby. You've got it's very technical, um, it's very tactical, um, it's very emotional and very um, mental as well. It's about mental what's going on in your head and what's going on in your heart. And I think for me, I, I was okay technically. I wasn't the most gifted player. Tactically, I learned how to play you know, in the right areas and, and and all the things you need. But it's not just about you. It's about your fly half and your scrum half, etc. Where, where the game became quite interesting for me was the head and the heart um, and finding the right emotional touch points in individuals and you as a team collectively to go out there and, and elevate your performance to a different level. Um, so I think never say never. If, if Even if I coach now, I wouldn't be that guy that's out on the field technically. Of course, I'd have an input in selection because, you know, that's probably the most important thing is picking the right people. Yeah. Um, and I think I'd have a, you know, a pretty good idea of how to play the game, but I wouldn't be the, the detail person, the, the coach that spends hours on the field. Where I think I could add value is speaking to players in the little small uh, conversations, um, uh, mentally getting them confident and in the right place. Um, and then being able to connect everyone together. Um, because, you know, we've all played against teams that are tactically and technically much better than us. The All Black South Africa, physically bigger, technically better, probably make better rugby decisions. But ultimately, if you can, if you can be emotionally and mentally stronger, then it doesn't matter who's in the change room next door, you're going to win. So... Yeah. So I think, you know, there, there is a role in the future, but uh, it's also got to be with the right people. I mean, I was chatting to Alex King, who's just stood down from um, yeah from Gloucester. And that's no offence to Gloucester fans. Uh, he, loves, he loved it there, but he's got young kids and he's moved house five times. Um, and at some point, you've got to say to yourself, well, you know, I mean, I knew I was going to play rugby and I knew I was going to stay at Wasp pro probably most of my life. But if you coach, you're never quite sure how long you're going to be anywhere, really. No. And uh, and when you've got young kids, that's quite challenging. So I can understand the reasons why. But equally, um, I am tempted um, at some point because <laughs> you do you do feel that you could you could you could make an impact. Um, but it certainly wouldn't be on the training pitch. I'm, 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 I'd, I'd obviously have a tracksuit, but I, I wouldn't put it on very often. <laughs> people, there's much, there's much better people at doing that than than me. That's not my, that's not my strength. No, I mean the one thing. It's um, I've I just quickly going back to the England thing and that, and that sort of mentality and that mental strength. Um, the those you mentioned those three Grand Slam, three and three and four years. I think it was, wasn't it, where we we didn't quite. Yeah, uh, get over the line. Um, All the way from home, last game. Yeah, and I, I, I mean the one whether, I always whether, think... don't know whether we got stitched up on the fixture list or we just uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, I mean the, the the one I think that I always think back to that the Wales one was a weird one. I remember ninety. Well, the Wales one. Listen, it was my fault. I made a bad decision. It happens. Um, and interestingly, I mean, I'd hate to give Wales too much credit because I played Wales thirteen times. And I won 12 and lost oh, one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and, and the one the Welsh remember is that one. And the one I remember is that as well, because uh, um, we still had time to uh, reply to the Scott Gibbs try. Mm. And we went up the field, but everyone was in such a state of panic. And Mike Cat snatched at a drop goal and it, yeah. missed, it missed the post by that much. And and, and it was a horrible feeling and uh, probably the, one of the worst I've had post losing a game. And I remember speaking uh, afterwards about, two or three days afterwards. And we said, look, if we ever get in that situation again, we have to know what we're doing to win the game. 
And of course, four years later, yeah. uh, that's exactly what happened. We had a drop goal routine. We we knew what we were doing. Um, but interestingly, four years later, only five people that played in that game at Wembley uh, played in the World Cup final. Um, so, you know, there are passengers that you lose along the way. And uh, mm. if, you, if you're not successful, you know, not everyone is going to make make the grade, are they really? So, uh, yeah, it was. I'd hate to say that Wales... Um, sort of helped us win the World Cup, but they kind of did help us win the World Cup, really, because we learned some invaluable lessons. It's funny though, you talk about that. That's the sort of the the, the Wales game you remember. I remember a, a particular moment when you were playing against Wales, uh, which I don't think many Welsh fans enjoy watching, which is when you carried about four players over the uh, over the try line, uh, which we always talk about. Um, and um, the other thing that uh, I always remember as well, again, is the um, I remember going down to watch. Uh, England played Wales in a pre-World Cup game in 2003. I don't think you played in the game. If you did, you maybe no, played no, no, I, did, I didn't. I was left. Uh, I was left in, um, you know, to, to run the, you know, run the estate at Pennyhill Park and just. Yeah. Uh, Good that one. I always remember that game as 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 the sort of the moment my dad, who uh, he's uh, uh, he went, he he spent most of his of the 1970s watching England get thumped left, right, and centre mm-hmm. by the Welsh. And we sent down, and I'm, I'm, I'm not being. I don't think I'm being particularly unkind. No, I mean, listen, we, we were, we were picking a squad, and uh, well, we were picking a squad. Clive was, and he, and he wanted to give everyone a chance. And yeah, and it was a, it a, was a, a very a, experimental we, side, wasn't it? Well, the England team was settled in those. You know, we, we'd been the best side in the world for three years, despite losing the odd game, and you know, half or more, over half, two thirds of the squad kind of picked itself really for the World Cup. Mm. And I think Clive still had a few little pieces of the jigsaw that hadn't quite slipped into place. So, yeah, there was there was a team that went to Wales. There was another team that was sent to to Marseille in France, and 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 yeah, it was um, it was a pretty resounding win, really. It was um, fun. I'll tell you, it was really fun. <laughs> that you know, Wales love beating England. Well, I mean, I'm sure they do, and you know, good luck to them. But the feeling is mutual as well. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> But, you know, no disrespect to Wales, Scotland, France or any of the teams, you know, we we very quickly worked out that if you wanted to win a World Cup, you know, it, it wasn't just about beating Wales. It was about no. beating like the three best sides in the world at the time. So I never forget, I, 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 I got dropped for the first time in my England career on my 50th cap by Clive Woodward, which was obviously a mistake by him. Um, and he, <laughs> he obviously realises that now. But I... I'd only ever been a replacement in my first game. So I never really in the in the in the subsequent 48 games, I never really appreciated the role of a of a replacement. Yeah. And, and in that time, it went from only getting on the field if someone got injured to actually being able to no, I think even then it was still injury. And anyway, Lewis Moody was playing in my position, and I was but this was 2002. I was just recovering from a from an ACL cruciate. I was back playing, and I was trying, you know, and I was dropped after we beat New Zealand at Twickenham. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a strange one. Anyway, I was playing against uh, Australia, and I came on for Lewis Moody because he he cut his face, unsurprisingly. And um, Australia scored two tries when I was on the field. It was only on for eight minutes, um, and then Lewis <laughs> Moody came back on. And I never forget as I walked off the field, this Gloucester fan. Um, who uh, was in the disabled easy wheelchair? Uh, we became uh, good friends for many, many years after that. He said to me, "He said, Lawrence, he said we were winning before you went on." I said, "Yeah, yeah we were." So <laughs> I, my cameo as a as a as a, as a replacement was um, was Australia scoring two tries, and very famously at the um, at the end of that game, I think James Simpson Daniel made a break, um, and 
passed the ball to Ben Cohen, I think, and Ben Cohen scored the winning try. So it was, uh, yeah, it, it was a great, great time to be an England fan, great time to be part of English rugby. And I always felt there was a really good connection, even though, you know, you go back to your clubs and Gloucester fan support Gloucester and, and whatever. But when we all came together as an England team, there was a, there was a real kind of feeling that we, we were on the verge of doing something quite special. Yeah, and, and I mean, we referenced 2003 many times. I'm sure you've spoken about it many times. And I'm, I'm, you know, my memory of that is, again, being up ridiculously early in a pub in Swansea, uh, nursing a pint for about two and a half hours. Uh, well, well there's, not, um, there's not many opportunities where you get the excuse to go and start drinking at eight in the morning. But, uh, you know... Well, England, not any legitimate excuses, Lawrence. No, I mean, England, 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 England in a World Cup is, is yeah. a very good reason. So, uh, yeah. A... Uh, but, yeah, I remember, I mean, I remember it. Uh, well, I remarkably do remember it because I hadn't... I, I So this, this pint was nursed very delicately across. I just couldn't drink. I was too nervous. But the um, the one thing for I always think about that World Cup was the... it, it For me, I always felt that that, was, that should have been the the moment the spark that kind of set the fire under English rugby and we would be dominant for decades and you would have massive crowds around the country um and I kind of suppose never, never really it never really happened did it no and the, the reason why is because everyone planned um for how to win the World Cup but no one really planned on what we would do after we won the World Cup no and, I mean I, I I thought the same and I'm sure everyone um probably wondered why i mean there there was obviously a huge euphoria i played i, I had a week off um and what uh, went up to newcastle johnny wilkinson and i were parading the trophy round you know kingston park was packed every stadium was packed yeah. um uh, for about a year but the reality was that it it didn't really take off and um i remember being on tour less than 5 months after we won the world cup and i was back in new zealand uh, back in australia we got thumped by 35 points by New Zealand in both test matches and then we got beat by nearly 50 by the Aussies. Uh, I looked around the England team and most of the my, most of my mates had either retired or they were injured or whatever. And I just thought, God, who thought this was a really good idea to, to mm. set, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't basically stopped playing rugby, um, you know, back to back for about three or four years. And I should have been on a beach in in America or somewhere, or, you know, I don't know, we should have been rested, but yeah, we weren't. And I just thought that, in hindsight, it's easy to say, but England had such a fallow period after that World Cup. We won one Six Nations title for for the next twelve years, um, and you can only really blame the RFU for that. Really, to be honest with you, they, I mean, you know, they won't necessarily accept the blame, but um, there were some dis very poor decisions made about um, the Clive Woodward generation. I don't know whether people got jealous. I don't know whether people got whatever, but. Um, there was a sort of feeling of not invented here syndrome. Um, you know, everything that Clive built got dismantled quite yeah. quickly. Um, you know, subsequent coaches, uh, Andy Robinson, Brian Ashton. I mean, it was just a, it was a mess really. Um, and yeah, I, I think the, it was a, a lesson in how not to build on legacy, uh, basically. Mm. Um, whereas the All Blacks, uh, whilst they don't win every World Cup um, and they don't win every game, um, they do know how to move things on and improve things and try and um, make the team a better team than when you were involved in it. And I think, you know, that's the legacy of international rugby. It's the legacy of any great club like Gloucester or or, or any club, really. It's about building on what you've inherited and, and leaving it in a better place than when you arrived. And uh, yeah, I mean, English rugby, it's taken a long time. It took a long time to get that back again. 
do you find um i'll kind of come on to the, the we'll come on to the sort of the current england side and the, and the world cup as i said which is next year yeah. but in 2007 um it was a weird, again a really odd world cup as an england fan because it started so horrifically mm. against well, 36 36 nil i mean it's quite difficult not to score a point in international rugby but I think we managed it quite comfortably that day. Yeah, it was it was one of the you know it was a chastening experience for you guys, but obviously it's a forces. We were thinking, oh, it'll be a difficult game because South Africa were a better better team than England, but to be nil was horrific. But then it was a strange thing that it all turned obviously on that quarter final against Australia, where I think a lot there's of a lot, there's fans, a lot of myth, there's a lot lot of myth yeah. about it. We had we had we had good coaches, we had good um, you know good good players, um, but there wasn't really the same. Um, preparation, uh, detail, togetherness, unity, whatever you want to call it, that we had yeah. previously. Um, you know, Clive would, would loved a meeting um, to talk about lots of things. Brian Ashton hated meetings. Um, right. <laughs> but, you know, so, so it went from having too many meetings to having no meetings at all. And I think, you know, you know players need a bit of structure and need a bit of shape. And Brian Ashton is an amazing coach who, who's done some great things. Um, but if you don't lead the group then players tend to align themselves with the coach that gives them the best possible advantage of getting selected yeah. <laughs> never a good thing but no. speaking specifically about that game you know we had hit rock bottom we were you know no one had really given us a hope of progressing yeah. i think most of the most of our opponents had written us off and as you know um that's a very that's kind of a, a traditional british trait you know we are the underdog and we actually are at our best in that situation, historically. Um, and we went into that game against Australia. Actually, Graham Roundtree, who's now at Munster, was a, we, we, you know, gave a very rousing speech. Um, and we had Andrew Sheridan, who oh, was just yeah. a monster that day. We had Andy Gomesall, who had a blinder. We had Mike Catt. We, you know, we had we had some good players who played very well. And and we caught the Aussies on a on a day where maybe they'd underestimated us. Um, our, our scrum, you know, ate them up. Um, yeah. And. You can win a game you know, with a, with a with a good bit of structure, with a good bit of you know defence and and a good scrum. So uh, I re I remember of all the things I've done over my career that day, even though I I mean I played twenty minutes at the end and and I was part of it and I feel very proud. It was just the most incredible day I've ever known in rugby because it was when rugby really turned upside down. You know we beat Australia in Marseille, then we went into the port. We obviously had a couple of beers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we watched New Zealand play against France and and then of course the rest is history and it was the most extraordinary day um, just to see those two teams get knocked out by by the English and the French and, and now we go into next year's World Cup and mm. obviously the Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere I don't think they've ever been closer in terms no. of um, you know and that's a good that's a good thing because you know We've got to remind ourselves that eight of the last nine rugby world cups have been won by the southern hemisphere and the only one we have won is is in 2003. now france have come close england have come close wales have had their heartache in semi-finals you know ireland have never really featured um scotland never really featured so you know but this time round, you do feel that of all of, well three of the top four in the world at the moment are in the northern hemisphere so there must be that, that must tell you something I mean, so going on to next year and the World Cup. So um, the four of us, of the five of us who do the pod, we're all off to Lille for two games, uh, yeah. three games technically. You get to watch Tonga, Romania. That'll be good fun. Uh, but England, Chile, England, Samoa. Um, I think we can probably safe to say that England would be expected to go through that group, probably win it. Um, you'd certainly hope so. Do you think there's any? I mean, what's your sort of vision view on 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 England next year? Where do you see our 
our biggest strengths? Oh, Do you think there's any Eddie's sort of blind Eddie's, spots that Eddie's got at the moment? Eddie's got a, um, as always seems to have quite a good World Cup plan and the World Cup yeah. record. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, he took Australia to the World Cup in 03 and, and narrowly lost to us. He was an assistant coach to, in 07 and won. And he's, he's, you know, he's, he's, mm. he's done well. So he, he must have a plan. Um, I don't always see that in his selection. Um, <laughs> no. I've got to be honest with you. But, you know, when you, you, you've got, there's a lot of experience in that team. There, there's a lot of younger players. The game is changing. So it's becoming much more um, attack minded. Um, you know, there's, there's players who, are, who were out of form, who are coming back into form. You know, Billy Vunapola would be an mm. example of that. Elliot Daly, who's not made the squad, would be another example. There's players out of form that have been left out of the squad, like a Henry Slade, but, you know, have got a chance. So I think what he's trying to do, and I've, I've got no idea, but I think he's trying to create as competitive environment, an environment as possible um, and and try and make sure he's got, what, four tests this autumn and he's got uh, another another five in, in, the, uh, in, in the spring. Uh, and then a couple of warm-ups. So there's not a huge amount of time now. We're in the home straight. But uh, I think there is a plan. We've got uh, some serious competition. Um, there's some wonderful players across the board. There's still a little bit of... I mean, the areas that, that, that always give me cause for concern and whether that's just a is scrum half and, yeah. and, and tight end prop. And, and funnily enough, they're the two areas where, you know, we came undone in the World Cup last time, really, whether that was a selection or... A lack of it or whatever and, and I'm not sure you know there's some there's some very talented scrum miles but at some point you have to pick two or three mm -hmm. and you have to trust them <laughs> yeah and uh, that doesn't mean you can't chop and change them but you can't you can't continually chop and change and, and I appreciate that it's not easy for Eddie Jones because there's a lot more injuries maybe now than there was you know you you, you have plans and then suddenly a player is is out for a number of weeks and months but then that's even more reason to understand who your first choice is, who your second choice is, who your third choice, who your fourth choice. And I, I think that in certain positions, the selection's been a bit schizophrenic, if I'm honest with you. Um, yeah. You know, now whether that's down to injury, you know, one minute we've got Danny Kerr and, and Van Poorfleet, then we've got, um, you know, Rafi Quirks, but coming back into the mix, Harry Randall, then he gets injured. So I don't know. All I know yeah. is that we had... Um, Three very good scrum halves, um, Matt Dawson, Kieran Bracken, and, and Andy Gomesaw, and you, you had Austin Healy, you could have easily been there. And all three of them played in the World Cup. Um, yeah. Kieran Bracken had probably one of the most important games in, against South Africa, uh, and yet and then Dawson then played in the, in the, in the latter game. So, yeah, I, I think England, because of the structure, we've got a very good chance. Um, we've been very poor in, in the last couple of Six Nations. Our results have been nowhere near the level that, that either the players or the, or the management would, would expect and the fans would expect. And we've had every reason and right to question what's going on. But mm. obviously of late, you know, the Australian um, tour uh, it was, a, was, a, was a big flag in the sand, was maybe a turning point for this group, um, you know, to win over there. No matter how good or bad the Australians are, it's still a, a top effort. Um, and, you know, I'm, I mean, we're... If I ask Gloucester fans, I'm sure they are, are we as are, are we as good as France and Ireland yet? Well, not in the evidence of what I've seen. No. Um, but can we beat any of those two teams in a one-off game? Yeah, we can. Are we as consistent as those teams? No, we're not. I mean, France have won ten Test matches on the spin. 
which even they must be quite surprised by. I mean, they, <laughs> I mean, Ireland have, have, have you know now been able to put things together away from home and, and are looking very very strong. So um, I think there's a gap between us and and those two teams in terms of our attacking um, capabilities and our structures. But what we should never underestimate is Eddie Jones's ability to tactically uh, bridge that gap. Uh, he, he's produced some of the most incredible tactical masterclasses. I've I've seen from any England coach. Um, mm. you know, I remember Ireland in 2019, New Zealand in the World Cup semi-final, Australia in the World Cup quarter-final. So, uh, where are we now? I think we're in a decent position. We're building towards the World Cup. Uh, we're, we're coming sort of a, a, a as a sort of late runner on the rails. Um, I don't think we're we're, we're anywhere near the favourites uh, at this stage. But the the, the group favours us. Uh, the draw yeah. favours us. Yeah. And we could easily find ourselves in a semi-final against France. Um, yeah, and exactly. We've all been there in a World Cup before mm. and we've beaten them a couple of times in semi-finals. So um, it's not easy being the home nation in a tournament. You know, when you walk out and you've pictures on the billboards everywhere all over your own country and, you know, it, there's only only three of the World Cup winners have, have actually won it in their own country. It, it's not an easy thing to do because the pressure just builds and builds and builds as you get to the final. Um, so yes, France are favourites, but they're not shooing. Uh, Ireland are definitely challenging, but they'll always have this kind of World Cup thing hanging over them. Can we actually do finals, it? Isn't it? Cup? Yeah, um, you know, Wales will. will you know, they, they, everyone's got. A, I think it's only ever been two or three teams, and and we, we always have to start with New Zealand and South Africa. But I think genuinely, for the first time ever, you could probably say it's six or seven teams that could win it. Yeah, I, the one thing, particularly with the um, with the World Cup next year, is I find interesting um, is the the chance for Ireland. I think if Ireland can get through to the quarterfinal, that I would probably say that's probably a massive marker in the, for them. Um, they're going to have to beat one of the big big countries to get to that to get to the semi final. But, but I mean, the, 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 and that's, the that's a huge is, thing for yeah. them, isn't it? The great thing about the World Cup is it kicks off with France, New Zealand. Right? Yeah, and I mean, what a great and that start. is the opening game. So one of the big teams is going to lose the opening game. Yeah, and and we all know from Lark from from four years ago, the team that lost the opening game actually won the World Cup. So, yeah, um, so, or not the amazing. opening game, but you know, South Africa yeah. was was one of the early ones, wasn't it? And yeah, so it's it. What I'm saying is the the marker is going to be laid down right from the first game because the mm -hmm. host nation could either have that kind of when yeah. it goes that way, or they could have that kind of you know everyone Lift thinks off. win it, and I'm not sure which one they prefer really. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You beat New Zealand in the opening game, it's like, well, you're going to win it now. Um, if you lose to New Zealand, everyone's back to reality and then you can build again. So, mm. I don't know. It's Ireland have got a great chance. Andy Farrell's, you know, a good human being and a great coach. So, um, I think he's 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 got some 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 uh, some great players there. But again, you, you've you look at New Zealand in 2011. I mean, no one thought Stephen Donald would be playing fly half and kicking. <laughs> the ball, so, no. <laughs> you know, um, I, I still think there's there's a little. Whilst they've addressed some issues, there's a little bit of vulnerability. It's the, the Sexton question is all is always the one. You know, we we got to a World Cup final and we had Johnny Wilkinson fit, and uh, we had pretty much everyone fit really. Mm. Um, you know, you you do need a little bit of luck along the way, um, and they've got some key players, and they have got good depth. Um, and they've got their building, but you still need your, but you still want your best players fit. And if yeah. they can, if they can do that, then yeah, I give them as good a chance as anyone. So the sort of final bits and pieces, uh, Lawrence, is is just to kind of touch on your your biggest gripes with modern rugby. 
versus the things you would have absolutely killed for when you were playing you know whether it's sort of i don't well, know whether the modern day rugby player um is pro you know i mean what does professional professionalism mean in sport you know we thought we were being professional mm. uh, as much as we possibly could um but i think now the you know we try to be as the fittest side in the world you know all of these things um and that technically we work very very hard and you don't you don't win repeatedly and successfully if if you're not the best in class in that in uh, in in that time frame but i look at the modern day rugby players and i'm sure that the 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 understanding really about re i mean i wanted to play every game so i'll, I'll be frustrated now as a rugby player if I'm, you know, I play like two or three and then get left out for one, I'd be mm. like, what's that all about? But I think you just have to deal with that because that's the game, isn't it? So um, I think for me, it's um, it's about understanding, you know, that would be one. I'd, I'd want to play every game, but you couldn't. Um, and I do like the idea that um, uh, that you get this opportunity to, uh, to get some real momentum. Um, I mean, I, I was never one about, finances so i wouldn't be i wouldn't be envious or jealous about what what these guys earn um i think we had a great time and, and i mm. really enjoyed it um substitutions versus you know i don't know i suppose you just adapt and develop you know i, I played a game where you were you pretty much knew you were going to be playing 80 minutes so yeah. um from a running perspective you had to be you had to be um anaerobically um very 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 fit these guys are very fit but they're also carrying a little bit more weight and a bit more size the one thing i don't envy is the number of collisions and contacts there are in the game um, yeah i think that that is a real challenge for um for, for players um you know when i used to pick the ball up from number eight and run at you know a number 10 i mean one you could get there and two <laughs> uh, you know, it was normally only the 10 or maybe the open side that might tackle you. Now you pick up the ball, you take, you go into a collision and there might be two or three different collisions. Um, I just think it's a different game now. It's exciting. You know, you've got to be able to do certain things skill-wise that you didn't have to be able to do, uh, no matter what number's on your back. So there's a lot more um, sort of transferable skills that are required. Um, and the ball in playtime is a lot higher. But, but I think you adapt and evolve. You know, I'm sure Jason Leonard, if you interviewed him on this pod, played a very different game in the early 90s to the one he played in in, in, the, in the late noughties. You know, it's mm. uh, um, I I welcome the the opportunity to uh, to sit and have a pint with the referee and with the uh, with the, with your with your opponent after the game. I think play. I don't think rugby's changed enormously. Uh, just the opportunities to 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 mark the moments or to just to you know just to uh, remember things is probably everyone's now thinking about recovery and it's about the next game and the next game and the next game. Um, and there's so much emphasis on recovery because the schedule is so brutal. You know, it's yeah. like you, you've got five day turnaround this week. So, you know, you literally, you can't wait to get on the coach and get home again, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, and the one thing that I, you know, and this is a big talking point in the game at the moment, the salaries have gone up. Um, the costs have gone up. But yet the number of people coming into stadiums doesn't appear to have gone up. Um, no. So I, I'm i not sure, you know, why the game ha hasn't really grasped the first 25 years of professionalism in the way that it could have done um, in terms of growing the sport. Um, and I think I would love to see if I have one hope for the future is that is that we grow the game um, 
not just at the professional level, but we, but a community level as well, um, that we get more people interested in rugby, and that we connect. And we we make sure that our players and our um, and our staff uh, stay connected to the fans as well, because yeah, the fans are the people that are uh, some of the most important people in the game, and I don't always feel that there's that same level of connection um, because of professionalism, and I think there should be. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I would say, particularly since George Givington has joined Gloucester, there's definitely feels a greater connection between the supporters and the players, probably more so in, than in a, in a number of years. And, yeah, and, and look, I, don't I don't know if that's something yeah. that he's coming from him or whether his culture... Well, I think it's a, bit of, it's a bit of everything. It's understanding the, the power of that connection because, you know, the Gloucester fans are unique and special um, and therefore, they you know, it's important. You know, the, the DNA of the club is is... Is that the fans and the players have all the players have come from that? They've always yeah. been fans of the club, you know. So, and I dare say, and and I'm, you know, if you spoke to George himself, I would say that he's probably modelled a lot of what he is about and what Gloucester are about now on the culture uh, that he's and the and the bits and pieces that he's picked, he's picked up along the yeah. way. You know, he's had a very successful playing career at Wasps, and that was built on everything he learned from Warren Gatland, everything he learned from some of the players he played with, everything he learned from Sean Edwards. And then he went to uh, Leicester and he would have seen a lot of what they do. And he'd have taken some of that uh, and put that into uh, his. And then he went to London Irish. So in many ways, he's had quite a nice little, um, little education really. Mm. Um, and, and what, you, what, you know, what it's about is about taking the best bits of all of that and, and molding it together. But you're right. Um, you know, we in the media, uh, some other people gave him a hard time because you go, well, why are the players walking around the pitch and and you know getting to know the crowd when they've just lost a game? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It, it's important, and you can see the benefits of that. And and growth in in rugby clubs doesn't happen overnight. You know, I, I talked at the beginning of the pod about the fact that at Wasps we didn't win trophies straight away. You know, it, it takes time. Saracens when they first started, and let's just put all the controversy aside. Yeah, yeah, sure. We win trophies straight away. It takes time. Exeter, mm. a journey that took time. But I think when you do win them, you start, they come in, they're, they're like London buses. They come in in twos and threes and fours. Um, yeah. So that's the hope anyway. It certainly um, is for Gloucester fans, Lawrence. I mean, we've been yeah, waiting long enough. Look, uh, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a minor miracle how Gloucester have been uh, one of the great teams of, of, of the amateur and modern era, and yet they haven't won the title. <laughs> well, we were talking about this, uh, and it's it's the Gloucester, obviously, and hopefully, uh, I'll sort of finish on, hopefully, hopefully Wasps um, can recover in, in the short to medium term, certainly, and obviously in the long term. But um, when we were looking at it the other day, that uh, Gloucester are now going to be the, uh, the worst best team in rugby, because we're the only ones not to finish bottom, and and probably now not to be relegated, so um, yeah, uh, from, from the from the top flight. Um, but just to quickly finish on, not necessarily wasps because it's, I know it's a difficult situation. It's an ongoing situation. And, well, and... it's not. I mean, listen, it, it is what it is, and it's very mm. it's, it's tragic, really. And it, it is indeed it never have happened. Um, and I'm sure over time there'll be some um, there'll be some some stuff that will come out and we'll really you know and we'll and and everyone has to learn from yeah. from what's happened and and that everyone within wasps and everyone externally um you know and 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 move on um and the truth comes out eventually um mm. i'm i i was a little bit um i'm a little bit sort of ambivalent and upset and and generally quite 
surprised about how everyone talks about a rugby family uh, but the reality yeah. is when when things go desperately wrong um you know people are very quick to to to, to point the finger of blame rather than actually um you know give the arm of 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 uh, of, of love and family and and you know I, I feel for everyone at wasps and at worcester um do i think the rugby uh, could have done more, can do more. Yes, of course I yeah. do. And and how people behave in challenging and tough times is how you remember them. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden, everyone's got this kind of uh, flag in the sand moment. Oh, well, we'll just politely ignore the fact that we knew that that there was, you know, mess and chaos in professional rugby. Um, mm. and, we'll, and, we'll, and we'll promise to do something about it now. Um, Were you and, surprised? And that's, that's the challenge. And, and mm. And I, I listen. I, I mean, Wasp will be back it's in some yeah. way, shape, or form. Sadly, it won't be in the in the way that they are uh, currently. But it, you know, I can I can assure people that it it will be it will be a um, a fascinating journey to get them back to where 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 they belong again. Mm. Um, and that in itself is a challenge, um, and and one that I'm sure a few of us, uh, myself included, will will. will um, will embrace because yeah. um, having been a huge part of that journey, um, I'm not about to, uh, that, that's not the last chapter for me anyway, um, because that's not the way it's meant to be. Um, you know, I joined the club because I was, you know, it, it was my life and, uh, you know, I don't want to pass that legacy on and, and be remembered as, as, uh, as, as that. So uh, it's, that will be, and, and there's lots of people involved in WASP who, who feel the same way. Um, so yeah, there, there will be a, <laughs> It will be whatever you want to call it, a, re a rebirth at some point. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. Um, there's going to be a lot of people that will be uh, putting blocks, uh, roadblocks in the way. Um, but that's life. That's what, that's what happens. And, and you overcome those challenges uh, and you move forward. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I appreciate you, you can do that as well, Lawrence. And I, I think that I, I, I wasn't necessarily going to go too too deep into it because I know it's incredibly raw and emotional. Yeah. Um, and it would be for us. You know, we Gloucester... I mean, crikey, the, the thought of losing Gloucester is, is yeah. I can't even begin to imagine. Um, and you're right, even if Gloucester are in that situation, there's plenty of people, there's fans, there's the community. Yeah. It's, it's going not, to do whatever not, they can to, to bring it not, back. It's not they? quite as simple as Wasp, you know, spent too much money or, or this. No. Thing. There's a lot more complications, you know. it's um, I always find it's, yeah, it, it's um, people are quick to to make judgments. I think mm. what we have to remember and the, and the kind of moral of the story in rugby union is that we are we love rivalry, uh, we love our teams, we love our communities, we love our, our, our having that that tribalism. But rugby is only eighty minutes a week. Yeah. We are only enemies um, for the time that we play together, and all the cultures and values that we all talk about so beautifully need to be displayed in in the um, in the rest of the week when we're not playing mm. against each other. Uh, it's not about self interest. Uh, and never has been it should be about uh, trying to find a way of working collectively and collaboratively uh, as clubs uh, to make sure that we grow the game and uh, maybe that would be one of my big hopes for the future is that um, is that we do that because uh, you know it's great having Saracens and it's great having Bristol and it's great having Exeter and it's great having all these successful clubs that are successful at the moment but they're only really successful if they've got people to play against um, and teams that are going to give them a good go, because fans will soon, you know, won't 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 keep coming to stuff that's not, you know, where the product's not good uh, no. and, the, and the environment's not good. So we shall see. But uh, listen, my my hope is that I'll have to find another team to support in the Premiership for the next few weeks. So uh, 
Well, I mean, you know, you're always well, welcome in the shed, well, Lawrence. Next few months or years. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I'd hate to say it, but with the uh, with the Wasp connection, it's it's. I, I'm sure there's lots of Wasp fans who are who are uh, um, becoming um, sort of uh, closet uh, cherry and white Gloucester fans now. Mm, yes, I mean, it'd be interesting to see. Well, we, we don't want the we don't want the we don't want the bells. We, we don't like the bells. The bells was <laughs> that's too much. Well, also, you, if you, you drive know, around, if you drive around Gloucester, you, you hear enough bells anyway, don't you? Really, you don't need anymore. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple on, on there's, there's one on Phil Vickery's neck, and there's one on Trevor Woodman's neck, isn't there? That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but no, thank you so much again, Lawrence. I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's been excellent to talking to you. And um, obviously, the the rule is I have to offer a pint to every single person I talk to or interview on this pod. So that will obviously be extended to you. So when we do see you in a few weeks' time. Uh, you know, incognito in the shed. Just give us a shout. Um, you know, be there. Um, but thank you very much. And um, all being well, uh, in a few weeks' time, there will be uh, some international rugby. We'll be we'll be enjoying. And uh, next year, England will be marching all the way to Paris. Uh, and I love your I love your your your, your patriotism and your enthusiasm, Ed. Thank you for having me on as a guest. I look forward to a uh, to a lovely pint in the Lions Den after a resounding yeah. uh, Gloucester victory at Kingsland. Yeah, thanks a lot, Lawrence. All the best. Cheers.